The year is 1197 and the long night has begun. When darkness falls, monsters walk the streets and alleys of the cities, congregating to plot and scheme. Fearing fire, the cross, and the lupines of the wild, the elder Cainites nonetheless seek to guide and control human civilization through centuries-old plots, while the younger vampires scrabble for power, influence, and prestige. Welcome to the world of Dark Ages. Greetings, dear listeners, and welcome to episode 18 of the World of Dark Ages podcast. My name is Jacob. And I'm Peter. Peter, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing pretty well, uh, but I'm rather tired, actually, because uh, last uh, or yesterday I was out uh, on a uh, quite short but, but still rather exciting pilgrim walk. Uh, there, there's a reenactment group who did a, a challenge called Pilgrimage uh, 21, uh, which, in in honor of uh, Saint Corona, uh, who <laughs> is an actual saint, of, of course there is. There's there's Catholic saints for everything. Oh yes. Uh, so so they encourage people to to dress up in their uh, finest medieval pilgrimage outfits. Um, and and uh, take a walk and so living in an area that actually has quite a few uh, sh- both short pilgrimage uh, legs and but but also uh, longer ones connecting connecting to to uh, for example uh, ro- routes that go to to Norway uh, mm. and and down uh, I think there's one actually that officially is quite modern though but officially it, it connects all the uh, the way down to Santiago de Compostela. Um, but we we took an uh, afternoon uh, hike of about what was it six or seven miles I think it was up in the, just outside of Uppsala to uh, the church in old Uppsala. So ah. it was uh, me and the girlfriend and podcast doggo and some friends, uh, and we went hiking in medieval gear. So uh, that was fun, but due to the weather, uh, a bit tiring. And now the weather is just very humid and and it's kind of a, a pressing humid heat so it's i didn't sleep very well so i'm a bit tired but overall i'm really good how are you uh well a uh, bit of a, a tummy ache i i overdid it yesterday because um we were uh, my wife and i were visiting some uh, some of our friends who live next to just about the only sushi place that my wife and i actually like uh, and we hadn't been there since i think last year uh, so so we were like yay we're back and and i i kind of overdid it on uh, on some other stuff so uh, so a bit of a bit of a tummy ache but <laughs> hopefully Did you have all the sushis uh, i i don't eat that much sushi but i had a lot of sticks um which is which is really really nice, um, and then some some simple sushis. I'm not I'm not one for the ones where they put a ton of of stuff in it. Uh, but it was it, we had, we had a fun time. We also played um, a game called Betrayal at House on the Hill, which is Ooh, a yeah. a really cool horror board game. And yeah. um, my character ended up. You can find various items. My character ended up finding a double barreled boomstick and a chainsaw. That sounds suitable for for the game in general. Yeah. That's... <laughs> so so basically, I was running around being Ash, which was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, shall we take a look at a book? 
Uh, yeah, let's do that. It's it's a big book, so if we're going to need all the time that our listeners have. Yeah, so today's book is Transylvania by Night, written by Brian Campbell and Nikki Rea, developed by Robert Hatch and Justin Achille. Uh, right away, a note about the name. As the book uh, itself says in the intro, this isn't about uh, just about Transylvania, right? No, it's, it's about a lot of places. Basically, most of Eastern Europe, except for... What Albania and Russia, basically, it's it's a really it, it covers a lot of stuff. Yeah. Uh, so so yeah, it's uh, it, this is going to be a long one. <laughs> yeah. Well, obviously, people tend to associate Transylvania with vampires, but I think it was given this name because it was conceived from the start as a companion piece to Transylvania Chronicles, and we'll get into that later. But I mean. <sighs> Taking a book that is about Eastern Europe and then calling it Transylvania by night for a vampire game, I'm I'm okay with that. I can understand why they would do it just because of Transylvania's association with vampires. So I, I it's no skin off my nose that they call it Transylvania by night, but they cover uh, much more than just Transylvania. Yeah, exactly. It, it makes a lot of sense, and I'm I'm guessing that it's also a bit of a marketing ploy because they. They more or less have to release a book by that name. Yeah, and, and I think that just a book about, uh, or a book just about Transylvania would probably be a bit short. So, and and since there are so many stories and stuff like that connected in this part of the world, it makes sense to to just throw everything in it. Uh, unlike Scandinavia by night, which includes Amsterdam, which is <laughs> a part of Scandinavia. Yeah, I remember that. That's in that's in a either first or second edition book for modern day, right? It's like yeah, a yeah, Sabbath book or something like that. Yeah, it, it has something like um, Sweden, Denmark, Norway, and and Amsterdam or something like that. It's yeah, and they call it the time. land of the midnight sun. We don't have yeah, midnight yeah. sun in Denmark, and no. like more than half of Norway and Sweden doesn't ha- doesn't have it either. But anyway, <laughs> we'll start with the cover. And when I took a good look at it, because. Um, since I've I've been a player in Transylvania Chronicles, I haven't really taken a good look at this book before. But uh, when I when I grabbed it uh, to prepare, obviously I looked at the cover, and I thought the style looked familiar. So I checked out um, I checked out who the artist for the cover was. Uh, do you know who who it is? No, but I it does look familiar, and I've. If if I'm just gonna throw a guess out there, it, it looks a bit like some of the artwork for uh, for Elric of Melnibone. Yep. It yep. Exactly. Yeah. It's uh, Gerald Brom who mm. uh, generally these days write just writes just under the name Brom, and he is uh, he's an artist that I really really like, and he's like one of my wife's absolute favorite artists um and i'm fairly certain yeah that he did a lot of of uh, of elric stuff uh, back in the day um yeah, you, you have the pale skinny dude with with long dark hair and and a long sword so yeah exactly like um and you know it's it's in many ways ways a very simple cover but it's very mood setting and evocative and i really really like it in fact i like it enough that i don't mind the historically inaccurate weapons that the guy is uh, is is carrying and besides if i said anything bad about him my wife would uh, would come after me <laughs> no I, I i mean the cover it's it's really really well done in that it's so simplistic but you just get a lot of atmosphere from it yeah, yeah, it is, and I I don't know if it's this particular image or or a very similar one that has been used in uh, in 
a Swedish role-playing game, which was basically the Swedish equivalent of Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, some other Brom material has been, but but yeah, I really like this cover. It's it's uh, I'm I'm assuming it's supposed to be a vampire because he's he's uh, sitting on the spire of of a tower or a church, uh, holding on to to the kind of the the decorative uh, ironworks on top and and holding a sword, uh, looking down on. Uh, uh, whatever is below him, basically. So, so yeah, it's it's a really cool one. It's it's quite detailed, uh, very subdued colors. But if if this guy is supposed to be a vampire, then he's supposed to be pale. So yeah, I, I really like this one. Yeah, um, the interior art varies between decent to really good, with some odd pieces that may be sort of uh, evocative. But they're they're just a bit weird. In general, any piece with the initial AS on them are are really cool. Those are the ones that I really like. There's also character art and a lot of it. But let's take the rest of the art uh, separate from the character art first. What did you think about it? Well, uh, yeah, we're gonna come back to the character uh, art. But but overall, I I really liked it. There's there's a few weird things that are I'm, I'm assuming they're weird because they're supposed to be weird but then some of them are, are just a bit strange like for example one of the very first pictures on page 4 is um, what I'm assuming is, is some kind of priest uh, or monk uh, trying to hold off a, a, a bunch of, of children of the night coming to get him uh, and he's carrying a cross to try to fend him off he has a really nice rondel dagger, right? Oh yes, that but, one is beautiful. It's, it's a few centuries too too early, uh, but for some reason he's uh, he's not wearing any pants or hose, and his his uh, tunic is is just ending above his. He's a very tight tunic. He has a very firm <laughs> buttocks, I must say. Uh, and, <laughs> he does and he's, He shows off his uh, his his hairy legs quite a bit, and and I just can't see why. Like, why is this man not wearing pants? I, I don't see any reason for it. Um, but except for a few kind of strange things like that, uh, I really like the art, or most of it. Like you say, some of it isn't, is, is kind of meh. Uh, but, but overall, uh, there's, there's a lot of um, gratuitous violence, which is always fitting. There's this one that, uh, where, where someone is just, has his head ripped off by what I assume is, is some kind of vampire and and there's a lot of stuff like that uh, but yeah I, I really like the art overall in this one yeah and then there's a lot of characters in this and oh, yeah. uh, so there's a lot of, of, of character pictures and there's most of them are full body character pictures and then you have some that are like framed and mm. and the framed ones uh, most of them are very simple where I don't really have much to say about them but Towards the very rear, there's um, some framed pictures of um, people representing revenant families, and I think those are really, really awesome. They look really good, uh, very, very detailed. Um, as for the full-body ones, uh, we have uh, we have two Asomites that are depicted as having curved sword, but mm. uh, these are slender curved swords, so that's, that's actually really good uh, because they're not these overly broad uh, swords that we had in the, the last book. The rest of the weapons that are shown are pretty good. I mean, Anatole's sword, uh, sword has a grip that's too long, but that could be a costume job. And there's a character called Ruxandra that has, she has a very weird wavy bladed knife 
Uh, but in general, I'm happy. The armor shown, however, is mainly anachronistic, with yeah. the most egregious one being uh, Rudolf Brandl on page 102. He's wearing a full plate in like 16th, 17th century style. It's yeah. that that's a a bit too much. Um, but what's your take on the NPC pictures? Are there enough hats? Yeah, yeah, there there are quite a few hats, and and some of them are very cool. I'm I'm just gonna need to flip through, but. But overall, and and what you said about the anachronisms, um, we're, we're go- probably gonna touch upon that uh, quite a bit because the um, the authors of this book has has thrown in a caveat that um, and and it's something that we're gonna come back to probably. But, yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, but but basically, they say quite rightly that uh, during the time period, the, the late twelfth century, um, this this entire area was. It wasn't really dull, but a lot of the really cool things happen a lot later. So, for example, we we won't have Vlad Tepes or Chepes or however you're supposed to pronounce it. I can't, so I'm mm-hmm. just going to call him Vlad. Uh, but he he isn't around for another 250 years, uh, more or less. Uh, and and like a lot of the really cool castles uh, haven't been built yet, and so on and so on. Uh, but they they've kind of hand waved it. Uh, in a way that I like, and that is that, like, well, with vampiric influence that uh, and and experience and knowledge that you can draw on, you can easily just advance everything for the sake of the game, uh, and and I really like that excuse, uh, and and for me, it's it's a very good way. Like, uh, if if you're going to break the rules and just like, yeah, we really want this castle, but it's not going to be built for another two hundred years, then then just do it anyway and claim that it's because of this. Um, Nosferatu, um, Master Mason, who who has been around for ages and knows what he's doing. Yeah, I I looked at that sidebar as well, and I really loved it because what they're doing is they're saying, yes, we have changed stuff. It's not that we uh, that 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 you know we uh, we didn't do the um, the research. We did the research. We know that cities aren't as big as we. Uh, make them out to be. We know that these stone castles weren't built yet, but it is conceivable that vampires, given their focus on security and large population centers, would have influenced human um, development to the point where this occurs. And that's how you do it, rather than uh, you know just just making that an excuse after the fact for things that. You know, if, if if they say things like, well, he's wearing a 16th century plate armor because vampires, you, you kind of have to go, uh, no, uh, you're, you're not going to somehow manage to get um, like two to three hundred years of um, metallurgical and craft development happen instantly just because a vampire wants plate armor, but subtly manipulating uh, a mortal population so that castles are built of stone rather than wood and more people move into the city that is much more plausible and i really love that sidebar it's it's a a great thing that they put it in there yeah and and this kind of brings me back to to uh, my point about the, the outfits is that a lot of them are are actually quite historically uh, accurate uh, except in a few cases where there's actually supposed to be a bit anachronistic uh, like for example there's uh, Octavio de, de Malkavian, who yeah. is he's described as wearing a mix of uh, Roman, Greek, and and more modern Magyar armor. Uh, so it makes sense that he, he has this mix. And and the Asamites that you talk about, that 
they they are wearing a style that I would say is also from around the 1500s from from the Ottoman Empire. Yeah. Uh, I don't really know when they started wearing that, and and as you mentioned, the swords are probably they they could be actually Kilich from from the area, but again a few hundred years too early. But since a lot of these images are are so evocative, like for you you mentioned a, a German knight who's like, well, if if you want to have a German knight in armor, you want him to have a proper full plate armor, yeah. So it fits uh, it fits the mood and um, and the setting. Uh, and in in the same way, if you want to throw in, for example, uh, Polish winged hussars, they wouldn't uh, be around for, for at least the what late 1500s or something like that. Yeah. But but they are very much a part of of the image of of Polish cavalry. Yeah, and then so the winged hussars arrived. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so so if you wanted to do something like that, you could easily do it. Just just throw it in again. If you know what you're doing and and you just don't add, let's take Vikings for example in the the TV series who has like body paint and and studded leather armor and and shit oh. like that just because the the producers think that's cool and they think that's what the audience wants when in actuality we don't. Uh, so so yeah, there's there's a lot of really cool outfits that uh, some of them are actually. Uh, quite quite accurate. Uh, there's there's one I want to point out. I can't remember who it is, but on page eighty four, there is yeah, it is actually. I think it's actually supposed to be the the Nosferatu That's, Master Mason. Yeah, uh, and and not Celios. only is is he carrying a, a plumb bob, which is basically just a weight on a string, but it's it's used to uh, when you build things, you make sure you you just hang it to make sure that things are straight, and you can use it for. Um, surveying and stuff like that as well but it's that tool has been around since at least the romans so it makes sense that he has it and he he's also wearing a a god corpse which is a kind of robe with uh, uh with a hood and uh long sleeves and the sleeves have slits in them so so if you're um if you're out and about and it's raining or something or it's very cold you can pull your uh arms into the sleeves and you you will get warmer but if you need to do something then you can put your hands out the sleeves and uh and and do the stuff uh and it's a very common uh like bad weather or or traveling uh garment from this time period so i was like yeah this is really cool um so and and there are other uh outfits that are also quite nice like we, we mentioned asmite that is uh the, the kind of ottoman attire that is really accurate but but from the wrong time period uh, i'm do have to point out that i think she's a toreador on page what is it 91 and she's wearing kind of like a, a oh yeah the bodice and and a very loose um shirt uh, and and a flowered skirt and she looks more like something that you would find uh, in a modern renaissance fair uh, rather or than... possibly possibly a dungeons and dragons barmaid yeah, yeah, that's a very good description. Uh, but but overall, there are some very good like Eastern European um, outfits. That, a lot of embroidered uh, tunics and and even pants, uh, which they would be around this time period. Uh, kind of this uh, similar to to uh, the uh, the Byzantine Empire of the mm. period. Uh, so overall, this these characters are I really really like. 
but then, and, and these are basically all of the clans except for the Tsumichi. Yeah, uh, I mean, I just then, just one thing I, I, I need to mention on page 104, yeah. Nova Apad in, in what almost looked like bondage gear. That one was weird. Yeah, that one. She's she's supposed to be captured by the Tsumichi, but it's it's still she she has this weird gag and everything. And but yeah, yeah it, it just looks weird. It looks uh, really weird. But but like I mentioned, you have all these other characters that are are mostly really really good. Uh, and then we come to the to the vampires that are, I would say, is is more or less the focus of this entire book. Oh yes, and, and their portraits portraits aren't necessarily bad in, in the quality, but they're very generic and could just as easily just be stock pictures of, of modern vampires. Like, there's there's nothing that says that this is this is a really cool uh, Tsumichi. One of them is it looks like she's wearing a bikini, for example. And, yeah, and I was thinking about that one. That, that could just as easily be a picture of a modern woman at the beach because she's wearing a bikini and, like, a... a, a almost looks like she's wrapped a towel around her or something yeah something like so so they really dropped the ball on when it came to the themes on this one which which again like come on this is this should be their time to shine and, and like you mentioned the uh, the portraits of them uh, the revenant characters are are also really good and really detailed but then you have this very meh pictures for for the Tsumichi. so i i feel bad for them actually yeah um, so, uh, we start appropriately enough with the intro and, uh, we've already mentioned this sidebar because this sidebar is just perfect for, uh, a book where they, they, they specifically mention things like, well, Budapest wasn't really becoming the kind of city that we've described until after the Mongol invasion, but in the world of darkness, powerful than true interests made the city and yes i can totally see that uh so so great sidebar uh the rest of in the introduction is what you'd expect uh there is a small section warning about uh going full dracula never yeah. go full dracula uh yeah. or rather don't do the pastiche don't do the 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 sort of hammer horror or 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 that sort of thing with the exaggerated romanian uh, accent um which i don't know if if that was was needed i mean i i would think that if you present this as okay we're going to be playing in eastern europe and we're going to be playing dark ages vampire i i would hope that you were playing with a group of people who wouldn't necessarily descend into that uh but maybe that's just me um having yeah, well, too much they're, they're of a... writing for mostly an american audience in in what late 90s early 2000s so it might be needed uh, and they even call it the the chocula uh, factor and uh, and me being a pop culture geek i know who count chocula is uh, but I'm, I'm guessing it, that, like, what, who's this Chocula? If, if you bought this book and you lived in Europe and you didn't have, and <laughs> yeah. you don't have access to that brand of, of breakfast cereal, you would probably wonder what it is and you probably couldn't just Google it. Uh, I, I also just, just having mentioned the, uh, the D&D barmaid, uh, I, I find it kind of ironic that they mentioned as, as a warning that, uh, Transylvania has been the land of giant bats on strings and buxom young actresses in low-cut gowns. For, uh, so, and and then they have one of those. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but but yeah, it's it's a good one, and and I think that it's it's the whole avoid the Ivan to suck your blood. 
Exactly, um, I never drink wine and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, so and, and which in in a way I find funny in a good way because the uh, the the theme song for the Tsumichi, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh from from music from the Suckerboss Club the the album uh, it's called Bloodsucker Two Thousand uh, and it it has a very campy and and hammer horror um, um, hammer horror theme to it. Uh, you you come to the land of Transylvania where life begins at night. Begins yeah. At night. Uh, so but, great but song yeah. though. I I really like it. Yeah, it's it's a good one. Uh, I really like it. So, a uh, chapter two gives a basic overview of the lands that more or less make up Eastern Europe at this time. Um, it's actually a pretty short chapter given how much it covers. Though we do get more information in the next chapter. Mm-hmm. I really wish this was longer and that either they'd stayed with just focusing on 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 just Hungary and Transylvania, which is a part of Hungary at this time, because I think it's clear that this was written as a companion to Transylvania Chronicles, which was upcoming at the time, because they they Hungary takes up most of the chapter, which it makes sense that Hungary takes up a lot of place because it's one of the biggest and most powerful and most important uh, realms in Eastern Europe at the time, but. <sighs> It's, it's kind of, either they should have committed fully to this being the Transylvania Chronicles source book, or they should have said, okay, this is for all of Eastern Europe and, and spent more time because I don't really think we get enough information. But one thing they do excel at is tying in vampiric history and influence with the history of the region. Uh, I, I do think they, they uh, over did it a bit with embracing historical figures because you have two very uh, important um, Hungarian rulers that both got embraced. Uh, but what did you think about this chapter? Yeah, I think first of all, I'm just gonna throw this, uh, throw it out there before I forget it. And, and there's one thing that I really miss from from this entire book, and and that's a proper map because oh, yes. we we do have a few maps here and there of of kind of the local area, but but those maps are basically just a, a blank area with a few. Uh, cities marked out and and a few rivers and and perhaps a sea or or a lake or two yeah uh, and since they're so up close uh, for lack of a better term you you really don't know like well okay most people would probably know that okay this is budapest so so this is this general area but you don't really get a feel to where the different areas are in relation to each other uh, and I think that just having half a page, you, you don't really need a big one or, uh, or or a detailed one, but but just one where you combine all of the uh, the other maps into one, so you can see that okay, this is like just just basically Eastern Europe, so you can see the the Baltic Sea down to the Black Sea and the Mediterranean, basically, so so you just get a feel of of where everything is. Yeah, uh, exactly, because you don't you don't really get an idea of well where is Kievan Rus in in yeah. regards to Bulgaria for example yeah. um and if if you're going to travel how and how how would you go from one place to another how long would it take it's it's very very generic so you're absolutely right about the maps it it would have been nice to have just a bit more detail in that yeah but but other than that i i really like the the kind of feel that you get to it and, and there are two two things that uh that i especially wanted to to comment on that that they done well and uh and and it's kind of the same actually and, and it's the kind of the vampiric influence uh on the land itself so you kind of get this uh 
uh, almost Fisher King kind of thing that that the rulers of the land is is part of it, and and one kind of running theme that I've uh, found uh, harking back to Jerusalem is is that you have uh, sleeping Malkavians that show up uh, or actually don't show up because they're they're sleeping <laughs> somewhere and they affect uh, how how people and and canines behave in the area, um, and and I really like that that they're kind of madness and uh, and just general influence is is affecting people uh, because when malkavians are are written well they are one of my absolute favorites and and especially when you can just capture the the almost out of out the worldliness of them uh, which kind of goes really well in hand with with its michi um, and and some of the descriptions here reminded me of uh, of, of just a small section in the uh, modern clan novels, um, and you have this, um, uh, you you have an Elysium and a meeting of of uh, uh, Camarilla vampires, and and one of the the kind just basically NPCs or just a, a, a small um, a, a small side character is a uh, a Malkavian uh, who was I can't remember if he if he was a, a uh, Confederate or um, or, or uh, U.S. general during the Civil War. Uh, but, Confederate. Yeah, and, and he was embraced and uh, after the war, and uh, and then the Elysium is attacked by the Sabbath, and everything is is chaos. And um, uh, and the main character of the story is she's like looking around trying to to figure out where to go, um, and and this. Uh, Malkavian general just say so, says something along the lines of, of uh, come we should retire into the forest uh, and then he just opens a door and uh, and there's mist coming out and, and there is a forest with confederate soldiers just guarding the area and and it's just so completely out of the blue uh, but but on the other hand it's it's very Malkavian and it's it's perfectly suiting because n- neither the, the the actual character uh, that we see the point of view character or the reader actually figures out what what the hell actually happens it's yeah. this malkavian who is so crazy that he can influence even and i think this is supposed to be what washington or new york or something in in the modern nights uh, atlanta uh, actually Atla- oh yeah which makes sense for a confederate general yeah of course <laughs> Uh, so, so yeah. Every time I, I'm at Dragon Con, I, I try to open random doors. <laughs> because, uh, but, but that's that's one of the things. Like, like you have the the vampiric uh, connections, and and then just because this is kind of the way my brain works, uh, I was listening to uh, a documentary about basically killer killer fungi, uh, because <laughs> apparently due to climate change, there is uh, or there are a lot of of species of, of fungi that uh, can now have a much easier time infecting people uh, and, and, and killing us because it things get drier and, and they spread easily. Um, and the thing that I learned about fungi is that um, they are quite literally part of the land. Uh, so they, they infect or their, their uh, mycelium or my... Uh, the, the, um, yeah, their spores. They, yeah, the spores basically they they are quite often like part of of trees so they live in symbiosis with trees and other plants but but like the biggest um individual like living being uh is is a fungus for example it's it's huge i think it's somewhere in 
in the U.S. Uh, but so so you have this spread of it, and and again, this is how my brain works. It it started reminding me of how uh, did Smith here often describe like being a part of the land, and of course oh, they have yeah. to sleep in the in in their native soil and stuff like that. So so you could have, and especially when you have the the. Uh, how how Tsumichi and vicissitude is supposed to be kind of like a hive mind and everyone is connected to each other. Uh, you can make some really gross things with this if you think of, of the uh, the Tsumichi clan as basically a, a fungus spreading and, and controlling the area of Transylvania and and they they actually being a part of of the area like I am the land uh, mm. and, and you can see things happening. Uh, so, so yeah, stay away from killer fungus, uh, but but make sure that uh, you you make something, or, or you can in- include like the did um, Simichi, uh, not perhaps not literally, but they popping out uh, popping up in the forest like like fungus or mushrooms. Uh, or you it, could uh, you could sort of of tied into uh, Kupala, the the demon oh, that yeah, is supposed to exactly yeah. Um, yeah. influence or, or or be a part of the land in Transylvania yeah. like maybe he uh, or its uh, powers expresses itself through uh, rapid fungal growth that would actually because yeah. we we tend to associate uh, fungal growth uh, in many cases with rot mm. and corruption that could be a rather interesting image to use I so I, I really like that yeah. What one of the things I I missed? There were a few terms that might could have been explained. I mean, you could easily look it up or figure out what it was in in context. But it could have been nice to have have that explained. And then (laughs) there's one thing because they talk of uh, the Kievan Rus and they say that the founder of the area of the Kievan Rus, Rurik, he was um, he was uh, from southern Jutland. And I'm kind of thinking, uh, wasn't he from southern Sweden? Uh, or what is today's no, southern he, Sweden? He was actually from from the eastern part of Sweden, uh, or or the, the general. Um, but but yeah, I I was. He, he wasn't from Jutland, well, that I'm sure of. He, he wasn't from southern Jutland. No, he's. <laughs> uh, again, we don't really exactly know where um, where he came from, but just uh, out from from the coast to the northeast, from where I live, or the east, basically. Uh, there we have the area of Roslagen, and and yeah. Uh, the name comes probably from the fact that when you were gathering your uh, your soldier, soldiers from from um, back in the days when when you and this is almost pre-medieval times, you would gather them into rowing team. So Roslagen basically, or it, it could mean the 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 rowing teams that that you would uh, gather up to to go Viking or whatever. Uh, or, or fighting wars, uh, and and you have of course the same Rus, Ras, uh, Russia, and and so on and so on. So so yeah, they they really dropped the ball on that one because he's no uh, Rurik uh, isn't from from Denmark. He's supposed to be from Sweden, um, and and that kind of um, uh, connection to to Sweden um, between between uh, uh, the Ukraine and, and Russia and uh, and Sweden has, for some reason, I've, I've seen modern-day Russian ultranationalists claim that this means that that Russia has a legitimate claim to to Sweden. Like, yeah, no, it's Russia the other way around. In, in, yeah, Russia should be invade Sweden because 
reasons, but again, nationalist and special ultra nationalists seldom have, <laughs> yeah. have, have but, really but, good logic. But, I but mean, yeah, the reason I was, Russia. I was going to mention that if you didn't. Yeah. The, the, the reason Russia is called Russia is because it's named after the Rus, which yeah. were a, a, a tribe from or a, a group of people from, from what is modern day Sweden. So, uh, yeah, yeah, from, from you, the uh, slogan. So, yeah. So, yeah. You managed to uh, to to spread your name far and wide. Um, a, a really big missed opportunity is uh, when they talk about Transylvania. They forget to mention that uh, Transylvania or the area that uh, was called Dacia under the Romans hold Europe's most um, abundant gold mines. Uh, this is this is really where something like I think ninety percent of all European gold came from, um, and obviously as as uh, as technology advanced, they were able to um, exploit these gold mines more and more. And even today, there are, are gold mines there. I don't know if people remember this, but I think it was like 10 or maybe 15 years ago. So maybe some of our listeners aren't even old enough to remember it. But there was this big thing about a uh, a large river in Romania being oh, yeah. contaminated by... Um, was it, it was some kind of acid or poison. I can't quite remember yeah, what. Yeah, is it sulfuric acid that you use? In, so, when uh, it, making gold, I think it might yeah, be it's good. it's some some kind of stuff which is yeah used to to leach gold out of rocks mm. and a containment tank burst and holy crap that that was that was a bad one. Yeah. Um, one thing that they talk a lot about is uh, shadow lords and silver fangs and kinfolk. Mm. Oh my. Um, I'm on the fence about this because I, I've made my feelings clear on earlier in earlier um, uh, podcasts on that I don't like mixing genres like this. But on the other hand, uh, at least with the Shadow Lords, it it becomes really tied in with uh, with things later. Uh, I would probably have preferred if they just kept it to straight lupines. But I think they do it in a nice way, and I can certainly see that if you want to include werewolves as uh, antagonists and sometimes even very uneasy allies, you can use the the Shadow Lords and, and even the Silver Fangs, though it does require whoever is reading this and whoever wants to use this book to have knowledge of werewolf, have uh, Wealth the Apocalypse, have the books and stuff like that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm on the fence about it. I, I could go either way. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm with you on that one. Or, or actually, I'm I would say that I actually don't mind them having um, werewolves uh, in 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 this setting because it's the you need you need enemies basically. Uh, yeah. but, but what kind of ticks me off is that uh, I uh, yeah what they're talking about what the, the shadow lords and the get Fenris and the get Fenris I remember uh, which tribe they were but. I couldn't really remember who the Shadow Lords were, so I had to uh, I, I had to Google it, and and so um, I I don't mind at all actually that they include werewolves, uh, and again we have the Kupala demon thingy and and stuff like that, uh, but I they they could have just said sneaky werewolves or or fighty werewolves, and you you're not supposed to or you shouldn't need. To, to figure out even what a Shadow Lord werewolf is, just to be able to understand what the text is, because they talk about him quite a lot. And, and then in the, uh, in, in the end section of the book, they do talk a bit more in detail about what the yeah. Fenris and the Shadow Lords are. But if, if they're doing that, 
it's it's like okay i've read the entire book and oh now i figure out what it is so now i can go back and and make sense of it so so yeah i i completely agree with you when you say that that like just call them werewolves or lupines or or whatever but but just yeah. don't don't add this entire other game into my vampire game yeah um, so chapter three focuses on cities and settlements in Eastern Europe, which is an interesting take on it because first they talk about in general the nations, the land and that, and then they focus on specific uh, cities. Um, what, what do you think about dividing the chapters up in this, uh, in this way so that, so that you have one chapter about the nations and one chapter about specific, um, specific settlements? Um. I, I think it works. I don't really know if, if they could have done it any better, per, perhaps. But the the information that you get into it in in this is uh, is good. Uh, and and I think like for example, if if you read first about Bohemia and then about Prague, then then it's kind of like yeah, you you get to kind of like okay, what is this area outside of the city? Okay, it's like this, and then you can see. In, in the particular cities, so so I think it works. Uh, but yeah, especially given that this is a vampire book, and vampires yeah. tend to focus on the the, on the centers, yeah. and also given the scope of this book, like it's it's taking in a really large area. I I mm. think that this was a good choice uh, overall. Yeah, and and I agree with it. Again, we I would really have loved some some better maps because then I'm, yeah. I'm I'm looking at one that's titled. Eastern Europe, uh, and it's you. You have Vienna and Prague and Budapest and Krakow and and Kiev, uh, and and down to you followed it Danube down to the Black Sea. But but again, this could have just as easily be somewhere else in Eastern Europe because this isn't isn't the whole of Eastern Europe. Yeah. So uh, yeah, be- yeah, better maps, please. We uh, we start off this chapter with a really nice sidebar that talks about the various languages that are present mm. in this area. Um, which is really useful considering the large swatch of uh, swath of land this book covers. Mm. Unfortunately, they don't mention Church Slavonic, which is the written language of the Timon re- region. Um, but otherwise, it's a great resource and it really highlights the various languages that are spoken and, and how problematic communication could sometimes be. But also, it's good for uh, for people who want to invest in languages because you could get a lot out of just being someone who sp- speaks a ton of different languages and and is a translator in in this region. Um, so so it's good that they include this. Uh, the descriptions here are really good. We get a lot of story hooks and a lot of information that gives a nice feel for the cities. But once again, I think it shines through that this was made with Transylvanian Chronicles in mind because a lot of uh, space is given to the area called Siebenburgen in Transylvania, mm. which uh, is an area settled by um, Germans where they built uh, seven cities, Siebenburgen. Yeah. Um, and, but and what did area, you think of... The, it, their, their coat of arms has, amongst other things, uh, seven uh, kind of towers represented. Yeah. Uh, and, and I just love medieval heraldry is that it's it's quite often exactly what it says on the table. Like <laughs> yeah, if, exactly. If you're the noble family of, of Eisenfaust, for example, which means iron fist, then you will have... Probably a, a metal gauntlet on your shield because yeah. So, uh, but, but, yeah, um, I, but have you been for, have you been to any of the cities mentioned in this uh, in this chapter? Uh, I've been to uh, have I, I've passed through um, very very briefly uh, passed 
through uh, Prague and and Vienna, but I haven't really been to any of these places. Uh, uh, the sweet the Swedes have passed through Prague. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We we did that a lot, but but yeah, but I'm I'm just gonna add on to the to the language bit that it's it's a really good one and it's a nice solution. They basically say that yeah, there there's a lot more dialects and, and other languages, but we just for for the sake of simplicity. Uh, and so that uh, characters and NPCs and others can actually understand each other. We're we're just gonna uh, we're, we're just gonna divide them into what is like five or six different uh, yeah d- different categories. So you have uh, Slavonic, Hungarian, Romanian, Baltic, and and German. And if if I would have been a benevolent uh, story or yeah storyteller. Uh, I, I would probably throw in that if if you know enough German, you could probably understand some a bit Scandinavian. Uh, oh yeah, definitely. And, and if you're if you have Baltic, then you or or the other way around, you could probably understand Finnish because Estonian and Finnish is yeah. quite similar. Uh, same with and, Hungarian and Finnish. Yeah, they slight. It's this. It's the same basic family, and 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 also you have. A, a few of the uh, this is just me being a linguistics nerd, but but you have certain words. So, for example, you have the, the uh, when when they talk about Lithuania, they they may mention the title uh, Kuningais, uh, which in in Finnish uh, should be uh, would be uh, Kuningas, uh, <laughs> which is uh, a loan word from Swedish, actually. Uh, and it's the same yeah. as Danish and, and the German. It's it's König or King, basically. So you can see yeah. how how everything uh, kind of moves around uh, because um, you, you have people moving around, and, and they they also talk about this that that a lot of these areas are basically melting pots. You have Romans and Dacians and and Huns and Mongols and uh, Magyar and and uh, the Ottomans and everything and. And so when you have these kind of areas, you get mixes of not only uh, languages, but also cultures and, and different peoples. And you will get hierarchies with some people not being as equal as other people. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and so you can do a lot of that. With, uh, but but uh, more importantly, like from a storytelling uh, aspect, having a lot of different people means that you can mix cultures and, and you get new stuff like that's that's basically how you get uh, societal uh, development like this trader from from this part of europe goes to this city where he meets someone else from another part of europe and they start talking about how can we uh, trade or, or do stuff and then you get the spread of ideas and stuff like that and of course all of this is excellent for vampires because you can travel with caravans and you can you can hide among them you can feed from the strangers and and stuff like that so uh yeah it's it's a good storytelling device in general i think yeah uh i've i've been to prague once uh, absolutely loved the city it's uh, it's a, a great city if you want to feel for for history um and then i've been in in vienna a couple of times and it's it's one of oh, my absolute vienna. favorite cities <laughs> yeah, um, I've been to uh, to concerts there uh, in uh, in the in chambers belonging to the Teutonic Order, which mm. is quite a place to be for a yeah, yeah. a classic concert. Um, and I I would there's, like to go to a church in Visby, by the way. Just just speaking of the yeah. Teutonic Order, that was built by uh, I don't know if it was built 
by them or for them but it's uh, if if you know about churches, you can apparently see that it's it's more of a German style than, than a yeah. uh, Gotlandish style. But I would love to go to places like uh, Budapest and, and Krakow mm. and, and places like that because they are these cities tend to have a lot of the old town preserved. Mm. Um, and we've mentioned it before. If you go to cities that. Uh, were founded in the Middle Ages or before then, and they have stuff preserved, then it's a great way to get sort of a feel for how it was back then. But yeah, this uh, this chapter, um, I, I think, does a, a lot of good in order to give you cool places to set a story, because you can set stories outside of the cities, but that those are going to be very specific, because it's probably going to be like Tamish and Gangrel and stuff like that, but in yeah. the cities you can get a good mix, and I feel... They do a lot of good uh, work here, setting uh, the stage for places where you could have an, an interesting chronicle. Yeah, and, <coughs> and just speaking of, of Prague, you, you have, uh, of course, one of my, my favorite uh, things of all time, and, and that's the Golem of Prague. Oh, yes. Uh, and and I, like, I like how they have actually managed to, uh, in, in a good way, kind of, uh, managed to get this this entire book to include a lot of the the hammer film tropes but in a good way so you have of course the vampires you have the werewolf and then you have the golem which could easily be just the frankenstein's monster monster mm. uh, but but yeah the, the golem is is one of my favorite things in in general uh, and i like the fact that they haven't really told us what it is that it, it's yes just the golem uh, patrolling the cities and and you could of course um, and, and I, I like the fact that they also uh, kind of throw in there that the the rabbi Rabbi Mordecai uh, Ben Judah who's who's controlling it he doesn't actually and he's he's uh, actually losing control over it uh, night by night uh, so so you, just there you have a story of what happens if the golem gets loose uh, but but you can also play around with what what if the the golem isn't actually a, a clay person but it could be a let's say a ghoul or or even a vampire who's who's just behaving like a golem just protecting his his area you could you could easily see that for example uh, and you do the the uh, the jewish court of prague actually also has a a nosferatu protecting it uh, and and if we kind of look at it from the outside if you have this big hulking uh, potent, fuel, extremely ugly, uh, just brute, uh, walking down the street or, or lurking in the shadows. It could be a ghoul, golem, or it could be a ghoul, or it could be an Osferat as well. So you can you can do with it what you want, and I, I really like that. If like if if you don't want Frankenstein's monster, just make it an Osferatu. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, the golem is such a a cool idea. I mean, the original uh, story of the the golem is either sixteenth or seventeenth yeah, century. I can't remember. But but mention of making a golem and and how it could be done and stuff like that goes back way way further. So this isn't even a case of of the writer saying, "Oh, we're going to include stuff earlier just because vampires." But but actually, you know, taking some real life uh, Jewish beliefs. Um, and 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 using oh, them, yeah. and uh, you know, and and that's one of the things that that makes this an interesting setting is you have an area where you have 
where you can really have some mixes like in in uh, in places like Krakow and Krakow and Prague there are a lot of Jews mm. um, and I mean obviously you if if you play it historically correct you're probably going to have to talk with your players whether or not they want that if there are any Jewish players among you because even even though these cities invited the Jews to come, they were still very much treated like second-class citizens, and I can imagine that that could be an unpleasant thing, uh, given what has happened and is still happening to Jews around the world, to explore that. But on the other hand, if if you want to, you could also do an empowerment thing with with, you know, you have uh, his name is I think is Josef Tzvi, the Nosferatu, who mm. protects yeah. the Jews. So you have this this opportunity to change things where the Jews are not going to be as persecuted as they were in uh, in real life because they have vampiric protectors. Uh, if you go further south, uh, or you don't even have to go that further south because they mentioned that the, the kings of Hungary invited Muslims to their court. Mm -hmm. So so you can really have a mix of, uh, of various mortals and thus also various vampires. So if, if you're the kind of, of um, game master who wants a, uh, a setting where you can get as many clans as possible put into one area, then this really is the setting for you. I, I don't think there are any clans that wouldn't fit in, uh, in the setting given here in, in the cities mentioned here, you could include every single clan and, and you wouldn't need some weird explanation as to how that happened. For example, if you were to, to set a, a game in like in, uh, in Western uh, Iberia, it might be kind of weird to have a, a Tsimish running around there, but here you yeah. can get everything. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and, and as you mentioned with, uh, with the Jewish people that, that you could easily have uh, just just switch everything around and and you could also and and again this this shows how when you do proper research you can actually play around with history quite a bit and and it's still going to make a good story uh, so so for example uh, and you mentioned it that that the actual uh, the the legend of the golem of prague is is way later but what what if and and what what if we just turn this into a a chicken and egg kind of situation? It's like the, oh, yeah. So so what if uh, you you have uh, Josef uh, running around in in Prague in the 12th century protecting everything, but then for some reason a few hundred years later uh, he he can't protect the Jews anymore, and and so the Jews kind of like okay, but if we can build a guardian in his image uh, as a mm. martyr. And then they make the golem, and, and that's where they got the inspiration from. Uh, it, it you you can easily easily have it something like that, and and again you have you have history and and you have story interacting with each other in a way that works because you've done your research. So so yeah, it's it just just play around with it because you you know what you're talking about basically. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, do you have any more comments about uh, this chapter, or shall we move on? Yeah, we, we can move on. I, I have a lot of notes, but they're, they're kind <laughs> of, we, we probably can't do them all. But uh, but, but yeah, it's uh, there's there's a lot of it. Uh, or or just just a general uh, side note. Uh, anyone who has played the the Warhammer fantasy role playing game and uh, and uh, or, or no, it likes the the lore and fiction. You you'll recognize that the the border princess in in that uh, setting 
is basically this area just, just oh, for yes. the reasons we mentioned that you had a, have a lot of of smaller kingdoms and and uh, very small areas being ruled by people calling themselves kings and a lot of a, a huge mix of different people coming from all over so uh, so yeah it, you you can really see the inspiration in in that game yeah uh, so chapter four are NPCs and bloody hell there's a lot of them oh, yes. uh, <laughs> this chapter takes up as much space as the previous two chapters combined mm. and it does not even cover the Tremere and the Tsimish who yeah. get their own chapters afterwards I think this is way too much and it shows a problem with this book since they cover all of Eastern Europe and they want to present a few canines from each area which leads to a ton of NPCs. Mm -hmm. I really wish they'd limited the scope of this book or at least had spent less word count on each NPC. Now I will say that a lot of the NPCs provide history and story hook hooks so that's good but it's still a lot. Uh, that being said in general the I think the NPCs are well written. Uh, they also generally haven't gone overboard when it comes to just throwing high stats at the characters just because they have a good generation. However, they are all over the place with disciplines mm -hmm. and a perfect ex example of this is uh, in the Tsumish chapter. You have um, a character, uh, Radu, who is 73 years as a vampire mm. and he has a total of 18 dots of disciplines, which yeah. is insane for that age, even when they mentioned that he was a revenant before his embrace. And then you have Morel, another Tsimish. She is 48 years uh, as a vampire, and she only has 11 dots. So there's there's not that much difference in age, but seven more dots of disciplines, which when you remember that you have to pay for these with, with experience points yeah. um, is a lot. And in general, they're really inconsistent with the distribution of stats compared to age. And you might say, well, okay, they're, they're creating characters uh, for a story purpose, but I'm still thinking, <sighs> I prefer characters that are created at least somewhat uh, with the same rules as, as the players are, simply because otherwise you, you sometimes feel a bit cheated. Um, and another thing, they are very bad at handing out the status background. Mm. Several characters have no status, which is less than what a neonet was, would have. Yeah. Uh, and in our group, we've always actually interpreted uh, having no status as someone who's either not been released by their sire or who's somehow been made an outlaw in vampiric society. Oh. Uh, hmm. So, But I, I don't know if that's canon, but that's how we interpret it. But having all of these people with no status... That's just like, what? Uh, and I checked, I specifically checked the rules for the first edition of Vampire the Dark Ages. And they say that a status of five, that is a prince. Uh, yeah. And they have quite a yeah. few princes, but the Prince of Sofia, status of three. Marushka, the de facto Prince of Hermannstadt, status of two. Both pr the Princes of Prague and Budapest, a status of four. We even have a Tsimish Prince of, I think it was Krakow, with no status. And yeah. it... it it just makes me go seriously. I mean, it it makes me worry that the people who wrote the these characters don't know the game rules for the game they're writing for, which is 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 not a good look, really. Um, so, uh, but are there any are there any NPCs in this chapter that you want to point out for for good or bad? Yeah, well, just commenting on it, it feels like they they kind of dropped the ball on the whole status thing, or that they kind of Throw in, throw it in as an afterthought because I, I, I haven't really been looking at the stats in in detail like that. But but yeah, when when you mention it, it, it doesn't really make sense. So I think that 
in in a few of the uh, of of the examples, perhaps they just threw it in to show that yeah, this this is someone who actually has a status of notes, and then they haven't really cared about any of the others. But that's going to be a problem uh, for for people or or for for the game, both for the storytellers and everyone else anyway. So so yeah, that's mm. that's something that they should have gone through before releasing the book. Uh, there, there are some. Just, just gonna mention that uh, we we do get the, both Anatole and Lucita, the the kind of like um, not the example, but but the signature characters for for clans uh, Malkavian and uh, La Sombra. Uh, yeah, they're in there, and yeah. I'll say Lucita is a lot less annoying. Oh, she's actually not annoying at yeah. all in this one, but I I think she gets kind of annoying later. She goes into, like, almost Mary Sue territory. Yeah, yeah, she she does, unfortunately, and uh, and and she's she's one of the previously men- mentioned um, well, she's probably not lesbian, but at least bisexual uh, assassin vampires that we've talked about we've yeah. mentioned them, but, but yeah, but one one of my favorite characters that I, I just have to mention is, is uh, Gutka, the, the salt... Oh! Queen. Yeah, I I've specifically mentioned her as well because I absolutely love yeah, her. And and she's she's basically just this this monster. And again, we go kind of go back to the uh, to to uh, characters and especially uh, powerful characters being a part of the land or influencing the land. So she's she's like an uh, a just very old. Uh, she's yeah, she's supposed to be embraced uh, two thousand BC. She, so she's more than 3,000 years old. She's a fifth generation. Her sire is Baba Yaga, and she has uh, a humanity of one. And it makes total <laughs> sense because she's she's just hiding down in the salt mines, and she's uh, w- where she gets named from. And she's basically just this monster that that people she's she's mentioned here here and there, or rather. Other people, other characters know about this this monster or this demon or this ghost or whatever, who has some kind of connection to the salt mines, but no one really knows what it is. And it turns out that it's, it's just this uh, Nosferatu crone, basically, who's hiding down there, uh, and she's been down there so long, so, so that she has salt crystals forming uh, all over her, uh, and the, the picture of her is, is yeah. Amazing. That picture is amazing, um, and I also love that that we get the Wieliczka salt mines, which were yeah. so important to yeah. Poland's economy because salt. I mean, at this point, before uh, refrigerators were invented, salt was very important. Yeah, exactly for for uh, preserving foods, and and it was used as as a payment, which is where we get the word salary from. But but yeah, she's she's just a wonderful character. So she's. She's basically lurking around in the uh, in in the dungeons and catacombs and tunnels underneath. Uh, it's yeah, underneath Krakow or near Krakow, and she's been tunneling into the city. And she's she knows everything. And and she's like when she needs to feed because she, she's so old. She she kidnaps uh, just someone, a mine worker, or just some unfortunate unfortunate schmuck, and then she embraces them, and then she feeds from them. And then she turns them basically into a statue uh, covered in salt, uh, and and those are also her companions, quote unquote. So so it's it's just this very evocative and cinematic and and really really cool characters, uh, because 
you you can use her as a storytelling device like if yeah. you have vampires going down into the salt mines you don't need them to actually even encounter her because she would probably just eat them but if they just come across this this area or this chamber in the mines with I'm, I'm thinking kind of like in the alien movies when when you have the the victims who has been kind of covered yeah. in the goo and being part oh. of the wall and and but just covered in salt crystals instead and and then all of a sudden you have one of them just opening their eyes or going heal me please it's it's just such a cool character and i'm 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 gonna steal her and use her in the next time uh, or when i when i storytell or dm a game i'm gonna use her in some way or other because she's just yeah and i mean the great thing about her is she's not uh, she's not actively evil. She's mm. just so inhuman that she's on another level when it comes to uh, to morality. I remember um, first time we were playing Transylvania Chronicles. Uh, she actually came to a meeting. Uh, there was I can't remember who was holding it, but someone hosting like this huge gathering of of Eastern European vampires, and it was so important that she decided to show up. And I was playing a character who was like the ultimate ultimate merchant. So when he found out that she was from the Vienitska salt mines, he was just okay, I got to talk to her and see if I can get like a good deal on salt. And he started talking to her about that. And she just looked at him like she could understand the language he was speaking, but she had absolutely no idea what he was saying. She she really could not understand the concept that he was talking about. Ooh, can I, can, can I, can we do a deal so I can get uh, some cheaper salt? Like what the hell are you talking about? Go away before I eat you. So, so she is, she's one of my favorites. And as you say, the picture is amazing. And, and I like that, that they just, in her write-up, they, she, they, they say that she knows everything of important that takes place within a 10-mile radius of Krakow. But she doesn't really care about it. She, she doesn't really have any influence. She could if she wanted to, but no, she, she just, that's that's not her thing. So she don't, yeah. she, she doesn't do that kind of stuff. And yeah. again, it's, it's just amazing. Uh, so, so yeah, that's that's kind of the one that I really wanted to, to yeah. talk about. And, and we do have, like you mentioned, we do have a, a ton of characters and most of them are <clears throat> are really well written but again they they take up a lot of place and and i feel that if i i can see again i can see why why you have them all in the same book because they kind of interact a lot with each other and and with the setting but i feel that it or, or rather i would rather have seen them in um in, in the guide to the clan books so that we kind of get how uh, or or at least that we get a bigger write-up in in uh, in, in the guide to the, the clan books uh, because that will make more sense and then mm. if you buy the Transylvania by night book you can have like yeah in this area by the way you, you have uh, the Ravnos Vasili read more about him in this book or like you have Lucita read about her in the book to the Highlands and, and and stuff like that so, because then you could have spent uh, the time and space on other stuff as, le- as w- in- instead, like, for example, yeah. just a map. Yeah. Um, I mean, speaking of Luchita and Anatole, uh, one thing that I that I really wondered about was um, how does Luchita and Anatole speak with any of the locals? They can speak Aragonese, French, and Latin. So, <laughs> yeah. it's like, what? How, how on earth are they going to communicate with any of the locals? And... I mean, Lucita has allies and contacts. Anatole has heard. 
how the hell did they get that when they can't speak to any mortals in this area? I mean, you're, you're going to be lucky to find, like, a merchant who's, who maybe speaks French or uh, a few priests that speak Latin. But seriously, mm -hmm. uh, so, so, so I think there's a huge uh, problem there. Yeah, and then I, yeah. I really, really, really hate Anatole. Uh, and it's not just because of how he is in Transylvania Chronicles, where we seriously got to hate him. But 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 just the write-up is he has he's on the road of heaven. Mm. He has true faith, and they mention that he uh, occasionally commits diabliery. So basically, he occasionally takes another person and sub, uh, and consumes their soul. That does not jive with road of heaven and uh, diabliery. Yeah. And the worst thing is, I don't think they mention it in this book. Uh, but they do mention it later in his modern-day write-up. Uh, the, the part that makes me really hate him is that they say that he can maintain this... Uh, I can't remember if he switches to humanity, but that he can maintain his morality and his true faith because, as a Malkavian, he hears the voice of God, and so he believes that it is God who commands him to perform this diabliery. So, basically, they're taking his clan flaw and turning it into the reason why he can maintain his morality and his true faith, which is just... Stupid power gaming, and I, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm gonna stop talking about him because I seriously I, hate him. I, I actually like the idea of 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 kind of this uh, this crazed prophet who embraces people uh, to to kind of the the justification they give is that he releases their soul to to heaven. Uh, but the execution of it in the form of of Anatole, I agree, is uh, it's it's just a botched execution, yeah. uh, and and I I kind of want to like Anatole, and and he has I th do think he has some funny moments in in the modern times, but but yeah I, I completely agree that that if if we're actually going by what road of heaven should be like, and especially uh, humanity later on in the modern nights and and stuff like that, it doesn't make any sense at all, and it's no. it's completely. Uh, diverted and and uh, what, what do you say like it's it's it has nothing to do with with how the game should be run so it's a com no. complete separation from from like a, a pc wouldn't able to get get away with this and then no. it's weird that an npc uh, yeah. does just because it's an npc but and i mean if you've if you want a good example of, of a, a Malkavian, I really think Octavio's handled really well mm. this mad prophet who's been infected with uh, Kupala because he's been in, in too close a mental contact. <laughs> he what? He has the fungus. Yeah, he, he has the brain fungus, yes, mm. uh, which has made him a fun guy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry, 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 sorry. Anyway, um, no, but but he, he is, he's been, I mean, he's been in contact with, with the mind of this what what might be a demon what might be a dark god what might be a powerful spirit we don't know and and he's now become the prophet of cupola whom he's trying to destroy or empower he doesn't know and he i think he's handled just so much better than than anatole uh and he's a lot more interesting character and both of them can show up sprouting um strange prophecies but i just think that that octavio is done better so um yeah yeah i completely agree that he he's the the original and, and Anatole is is unfortunately just a kind of boring copy of him. But yeah, but yeah, yeah. I, that's that's a very good point. 
So the last thing I want to mention in this chapter is is just in in general the clan uh, Ventru. I think they're done very well. They they do a lot to really portray clan Ventru in an interesting way that is not just well these are the noble lords who uh, rule. Um, but uh, one one annoying thing is is the whole Nova Apad who's who's being captured and the Nosferatu mm. is um, is oh, masquerading yeah. as her and stuff like that. I, I mean I shouldn't judge this book on Transylvania Chronicles, but I know that in Transylvania Chronicles, which takes place one year after this book is set, she is free and back to being the prince of her city. So, I mean, if you ignore Transylvania Chronicles, maybe you can get something interesting out of it, but just, it seems like Nova, uh, apart in bondage, it's just uh, a, a bit of a weird thing. But yeah. otherwise, I think the, the Ventru are actually handled really, really well with some, some interesting writing. Yeah, I do like the fact that they actually mentioned, by the way, in, in uh, Nova's uh, destiny that she will be free within a year. So yeah. so I would say that, yeah, it makes sense that she's free in a year, but would she actually be able to take back rule of her city in, in that time? That I don't know if that's a plot point in uh, in, in the Transylvania Chronicles, but, but yeah, it, it does feel kind of sudden. Uh, yeah. w- what I do like uh, is... Um, how Rudolf Brandl, the Prince of Prague, is written because he he's supposed to come off as this this stereotypical knight, like being strong and brave and, and everything. And then we look at his stats, and he has a humanity of five and a willpower of four. So, <laughs> yeah. so he's he's a lot of show and and not really a lot of content. Uh, and and he actually uh, gets eaten by the previously men, or at least slain by the previously mentioned Nosferatu Joseph Joseph yeah. V. So, so I, I think it's, I, I think how, I like how they kind of take this stereotypical Ventru ruler, like I'm a knight and I can do whatever I want and I'm untouchable. And then he's just offed by, uh, by, by a Nosferatu and, and it shows that the Ventru, uh, they, they aren't all that as perhaps they, they want to want to believe, or at least that's the image they kind of want to portray to other people. Yeah. So chapter five is about the Timishan. Chapter six is about the Tremere. Mm. Both are cool chapters, but both since the Tremere haven't moved much beyond Transylvania at this point, and because of of where the focus is on the Tremere chapter, once again, it feels more like setting up Transylvania Chronicles. Now, chapter five gives us some really, really good information about Clan Timish. I mean, a lot of, of how... Um, we in our group portray Clan Simish in the Dark Ages comes specifically from this chapter and I especially love their description of Cupola's Knight which has given uh, tons of great story hooks um, Cupola's Knight is where the Tsumish use a magical ritual to lower the barrier between this world and the spirit world to the point where they can actually fight against Cupola's spiritual servants and it's just a really evocative thing and, and obviously you can imagine how cool uh, a story hook this is. And in fact, my wife, she even wrote a LARP about Cupola's Night, uh, uh-huh. where, yeah, it's it's basically because uh, Cupola's Night is a chance for, for the, uh, a group, a large group of Tsimish to meet under a flag of truce because yeah. you have, you're, you're gathered here in order to take care of these demons infesting the land. Mm. So it's it's become that the the night before the Cupola's Night, uh, Cupola's Night, everybody goes fighting. The night before that is sort of this big 
meeting where everyone has a chance to uh, trade and uh, it's it's also become tradition that people give uh, declarations of war at Cupola's Night and things like that. So so my wife actually wrote a, uh, a LARP where every player in that LARP is either a Tsimish or a Revenant with a ton of, of various uh, subplots. So if anyone wants a, a, a one-shot Dark Ages LARP, we've uh, we've got it for you. <laughs> oh, cool, cool. Uh, yeah. But yeah, this first section of the chapter, it does so much for Clan Simish, and I really love it. Yeah, I I really like how they how they set up the the entire clan, and and this chapter in connection to the one about uh, the Tremere that that you get the um, you you get the conflict between them and and how they are. Set up again. It's it's a bit sad that the uh, the artwork isn't, or at least the portrait are portraits are kind of boring. But yeah, but yeah you, you really do get um, like the the characters like Dalvag Grosne, the terrible Grosne means terrible or or generally just bad and horrific. Yeah, uh, and and so they have they have that, uh, and I I do like also the the idea of this character. Is it the uh, yeah, the, the Vladimir Rostovich, which is basically he's a werewolf hunter, and, and even though he, uh, uh, he, he, no, I don't think he actually dies later on, but but like he, for centuries, people or werewolves will will still fear him just because he's such yeah. a badass. Yeah, he's actually uh, he he actually originated in the werewolf um, collectible card game. Ah, okay. As, well, as that, an that as an enemy, it's rather boring and card-like portrait. But, but yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the 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 there are some interesting characters in here. I I like that the three first characters of the Tsumish section are ancients that don't have stats. Yeah, because they're just like these are plot devices. Yeah, exactly. Um, and all of them, I think, add some some good story hooks. I especially like um, uh, what's his name, the guy with the cathedral of flesh. Oh yeah, um, the, you, you, uh, let's see, Yorick, the high priest. Yorick, the yes, cathedral the high priest flesh. with the cathedral yeah. flesh. Because, I mean, the idea of the cathedral flesh is one that could very easily be botched, but I mm. think they managed to uh, keep it on the side of being creepy, evocative, and fitting for the setting, rather than coming off as just silly gore. And once again, I'm, I'm going to mention Transylvania Chronicles. There is at one point where you can actually enter it, and when we played that the first time, that was a suitably creepy experience, which was really, really yeah. nice. It was one of those situations where you as a player started feeling anxious and nervous, uh, not just your, your character being yeah. that. So that was really, really good. Um, and, and as you mentioned, there are also some that are fully statted. Uh, I mentioned the Prince of Krakow, who has no status. And then there's uh, Radu, the Prince of Bistritz or Bistria. Um, and, and he's a very atypical Tsimish, who is, is more of a Western Tsimish, yeah. uh, and a very, very interesting character. He goes on to play a big role in Transylvania Chronicles, and for some reason, both times I've played Transylvania Chronicles, my character has become quite friendly with him. Um, but they, they with him, they, they once again show that they haven't quite uh, understood their own game, because he's mentioned as having been uh, a revenant, before he was embraced, and he was embraced at the age of 30, if I recall correctly. Yeah. Now, revenants being uh, sort of born ghouls age very slowly. So if he was embraced at the age of 30, he was actually embraced when he wasn't uh, fully 
uh, grown up, which means you know not fully grown up mentally and and physically. Now physically, you can always change it with vicissitude, but it's kind of weird that they would embrace what is the equivalent of like a young teenager or something like that. Yeah, well, yeah, they say that his apparent age is mid thirties, so I don't know if if they just didn't mention that he's been around for for longer than that. But but yeah, if if that's the case, then it's it's a real. Uh, they, they they missed that one, but, but yeah, it seems like an an interesting character. Um, and and in in general, um, just just as a general thing of of this chapter is that, and you mentioned the Cathedral of Flesh is is how well the the writers have managed to get this this kind of more uh, horror setting, or at least the Hammer horror setting. And and they, they I think it's it's quite a, a an interesting. Um, and stark contrast to how Western Europe is is portrayed in in a lot of it. So, so in, in Western Europe you have kind of like it's supposed to be a lot of civilization, and you have the um, the courts of love with the Toreador in France, and and it's it's a lot of focus on on mortal stuff, and 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 perhaps if you have anything else, perhaps you have a a werewolf or you have perhaps a few surviving fey in the british isles or something like that but but contrasting this to uh, to eastern europe where it's still in in a lot of ways um not necessarily uncivilized but it's it's a different more darker kind of civilization where where you still there's always a hint of barbarity yeah yeah exactly and 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 also more of the unknown and and um not necessarily mysticism, but but mystic stuff. That's yeah. mysteries. You still have monsters in the woods. You have demons uh, literally infecting the land, uh, yeah. and so on and so on. So so they managed to very well well done. Uh, kind of created this this um, kind of its own setting almost. Like like this is a, this is a completely different feel to to basically everything than from say. Paris or London, like this is the. It's almost like the the land itself is a character, as it should. Oh, be. that's a very good take on be, it. Because you have a lot of these, and, and I haven't played Transylvania Chronicles, and so I, and or a game set in this area, but just reading about this is, I really like it, and 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 the fact that both of us kind of uh, agree that yeah, we can have demons and werewolves and and stuff like that. Even though we, we none of us are really a big fan of of those kind of things in vampire games, but but it really succeeded in in this one. Yeah, uh, exactly. So, so yeah, it's it's a nice nice job from um, from the from everyone. Um, and and just just as a side mention, I again my my notes are all over this place, but uh, <laughs> I, I can't remember if it's in this part of it. It's a previous part, but they they mention like. Um, a, a few inns or places where where vampires meet, and they have names like the the sign of the blooded blade, and and there was some other that was something similar, and and it feels almost stereotypical. Like, yeah, of course, this is it, it's not going to be like the happy jester. That's the place <laughs> where the vampire hang out. No, it's going to be the uh, the blood or the I don't know the the angsty priest or something like that and, <laughs> uh, and I I think they almost do it tongue in cheek because uh, again just harking back to to the modern day clan novels they have um, I I think it's actually uh, the the Ravnos character uh, 
what's his name Khalil I think he is yeah uh, yeah he he's he uh, he he comes to a new city and he tries to find other vampires and and he notices um, it, it's also one of this I don't know it's supposed to be a biker bar or like a techno club or something but it it probably has the name along the lines of the purgatory or, or hell or something <laughs> like that and it checks the phone number and if you if you translate the the digits into the numbers on uh, on on a keypad it spells out sabbat uh, and he, he kind of like just sighs to himself and comments on that yeah this like how do, how the fuck are you supposed to keep yourself a secret if you just announce your name like that uh, but <laughs> but it's it's again it's supposed to be tongue in cheek and 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 I feel it's the same kind of thing with this, uh, like like you have all these these taverns and inns that that their names are just obvious vamp- vampiric references and like yeah why why shouldn't you it's yeah. vampires rule the land so we if if we want to be obvious and stereotypical who's gonna stop us exactly uh, so the Tremere chapter gives us a bit of background on the Diablerie of Saulot and the Tremere Tzimish War but it focuses mainly on Seoris uh, the, the sort of home of the Tremere and I I think it's a bit of a waste of space I think they could have cut down on the description of Seoris mm. and then and then spent uh, this use the space elsewhere because unless you're specifically going to play a um, uh, a uh, Tremere uh, game then then you're not really going to be using Seoris. Uh, at all. Um, we also get some Tremere NPCs, and all of them, I think, are really well-written and really good for story hooks. So mm. I, I don't have any complaints about them. Uh, do you have any comments on, on the Tremere chapter? No. Like I've, I've mentioned before that I'm, I'm not a huge fan of, of the Tremere, but, uh, but but you're kind of spot on is that, yeah, un, unless I want to do, uh, have a game set around, I don't know, maybe the conquest of, of CRS or <laughs> Or something like that, but unless Seoris plays a big part of my game, then I really don't have a use for for any of that information, basically. So, uh, and and yeah, I do agree. The, the um, uh, example characters are nicely written, and and they're kind of cool. And I, I do like they have a uh, a small chapter on or or like a a, a note on thematology and and how that works. Uh, yeah. But but except for that, yeah, it it serves its purpose and it gives uh, kind of an, an opposite to the Tsumichi. So so yeah, that's well well done. Mm. So chapter seven is about storytelling and it's short but generally good. The Dark Ages books tend to be pretty good when it comes to storytelling advice, mood themes, and and some interesting suggestions for stories. Uh, however, there are there are two. Uh, story suggestions. Uh, they have two story suggestions that are more than just a few lines, but but written out a bit uh, a bit longer. And both of them, I feel, are are problematic. The second of them is is just a bit annoying because they they seem to really lean into the the uh, the the thing that they mentioned under the Count Chocula factor. They they're doing the whole children of the night what sweet music they make and yeah. and that and it's just it's a bit annoying when they've said that you should try to avoid that and then they themselves have a story suggestion which, that, that really leans that? into it uh it's the one that's i oh, just it's it's a call come uh, come safely or something like that it, it enter freely uh, go safely yeah, yeah yeah exactly where where they 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 have this very stereotypical dracula simish mm. and and they keep mentioning things like the the music of the children of the night and yeah. stuff like that and but the other one which is called uh seduction of the dark embrace this is really emblematic 
of one of the problems in this book, which is that the writers are not really paying attention to the game rules and the game uh, or, or the, the, the stuff that, that presumably they themselves have written, because it involves uh, Radu of Bistritz, who I mentioned before, mm. using a Kaldunic sorcery ritual to perform, perform an extended embrace, basically the the kind of embrace that you see in in the Dracula story yeah, where exactly. it takes place over several nights. Like that's that's the story of Bram Stoker's Dracula and, and yeah, Nina. exactly. Which is kind of cool because you know they want to have Dracula be a Simish. If he's going to make an extended em- embrace, then you have this Kaldunic sorcery that allows you to do that. Mm. Uh, Radu does not have Kaldunic sorcery. Yeah. In his write up. Yeah. And in in addition, he shouldn't be able to have it because Kaldunic sorcery is very much portrayed as this Simish religious belief mm. th- uh, that allows them to use magic. And Radu is very much described as an atypical Simish who does not embrace, for lack of a better word the the mm-hmm. traditional Tsimish beliefs. So in addition to him not having Kaldunic sorcery, he shouldn't be able to have Kaldunic sorcery at all. So it's it's kind of weird that they've made a scenario whose very a linchpin hinges on something that that if you read the stats for a character they themselves made, he can't do that. Yeah. Uh, so but I mean the other the other suggestions for for um uh, for various stories are are good, but I, I just I had to mention this because it it's just annoying when when they do that at least at least to me. Yeah, yeah, and I, I agree with that, uh, and and especially like since since the seduction of the dark embrace is is basically just I don't know if you're gonna call it ripping off the plot of um, of, of Dracula, but it's it's very much that, and and it can easily turn into. I don't know, just the, the players sitting around um, just uh, quoting the uh, Mel Brooks Dracula parody. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember what it's called in, in English. Dead know. and Loving It. Dead and Loving It, yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, it's, I, I, I'm actually going to say that the, the premise for the Enter Freely Go Safely, uh, it's, it's a miniature chronicle set in five acts. I, I completely agree that the... That, uh, Everything is quite stereotypical, but I, I feel uh, that the the actual story is is actually quite a fun one. You, or at least you can have a lot of fun with it, uh, but perhaps not in a vampire game. I, I feel that if, if you just take it, because it's basically uh, the the characters being kind of coerced into helping this this evil fiend, uh, and then they get the choice between uh, which evil they they want to support, and it's going to be like a moral choice, and like, oh, are we really this bad or something? And I feel that that would be a lot more interesting if if you play, I don't know, like say Dungeons and Dragons or, or some other game where where the characters aren't themselves uh, actual blood sucking monsters. So uh, so I I completely agree that it it, it doesn't really fit. Um, this setting, uh, but but it's it's kind of fun in in almost a bad way uh, as as just a general uh, story idea. But but yeah, <laughs> over, overall though um, the 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 plot hooks and stuff like that are are quite well written with with these two exceptions. Yeah. So chapter eight is about other supernatural beings in the area, mm-hmm. uh, and and we've talked about our feelings on on mixing game lines. Mm. Uh, but this is a brief chapter, and although it has a lot of focus on the Shadow Lord Guru, uh, I mean, it, it it gives you an opportunity to to integrate them if that's what you want. And since they, they've 
decided that they are going to be an important part of it, then I think it's well written. Though, once again, you're going to need the werewolf books in order to yeah. actually use them. Uh, they do have a sidebar on the Rusalka uh, local spirits, and that's really cool because mm. uh, these these are, are things that are very endemic to Eastern European folk beliefs. Uh, so what did you think of it? Yeah, again, for, for what it is, it's it's quite good. And I also like the Rosalka that you, you, you kind of get something that is just this area. Uh, and, and again, it adds to the whole fucked upness of the entire setting that, that you like. And and we didn't talk about it, but, but like the, when they talk about how mortals... Uh, behave and what their life is in this yeah area, yeah it's it's really fucked up because it's basically i'm gonna go to work i'm gonna do my stuff and then i'm gonna go home and hope that i don't get eaten on the way uh, yeah and, and it, it everything uh in in this entire book kind of embraces that and, or or on the same time it, it kind of shows how important important mortals are to not only vampires but also to to werewolves like for example the kinfolk and stuff like that and and you could, I, I would love to see uh, a game where you have this this kind of tiny village uh, with with uh, peasants, but they're kind of like when when they do everything they're supposed to do right, like hanging garlic up on the wall or or uh, covering their uh, the doors in in salt so that people you know vampires or demons can't pass and stuff like that. That's when when the mortals actually have an advantage over mm. over the the supernatural. But as soon as they step out of bounds, like as soon as they leave uh, the the limits of the village, it's gonna be completely different. So so they're not gonna do it. They're not gonna travel uh, if they if it means that they have to travel overnight or or have to stay outdoors overnight. And and they're they're not gonna. Uh, cross the river or going to the forest if they don't absolutely have to but when when they are in their village and they do their protective stuff they can actually be a force to be reckoned with and and mm, i think that yeah. could be something that you can actually use uh, as a storytelling device like okay we need to do this thing in this village but but we can can't do it as long as the villagers are doing these things so how do we um how do we stop them uh, oh, I really like that idea. Yeah, how do we how do we get them to to break with these traditions that they know yeah. protect them from evil? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And how how do we actually get this village elder outside the village, for example? Uh, but mm. but just going back to the to the werewolf and and just as a general uh, what do you call it like like a layout suggestion or an editing suggestion? Yeah, we do get uh, information on shadow lords and and the ghetto fenris here, but. You, you could have just had have a sidebar in the beginning of the book that okay in this book we're gonna mention uh, different werewolf tribes those are the the sneaky shadow lord and the uh, the, the fighty ghetto fenris more information mm. on them in in chapter eight because that yeah. that would like if if you don't know if if you're a new uh, player or storyteller and you buy this book and you start reading about like oh who are the shadow lords are are they a sect of Timichi? are they gangrel what the heck are they uh, yeah so it, it just would have made a lot of things easier if we could have gotten that information a bit earlier 
Yeah, yeah, that's that's a very good suggestion. Uh, so we end with an appendix about revenant families, uh, and uh, there are two new families here. And I, I have to admit, I have a soft spot for revenants. Uh, they featured quite heavily in our first Transylvania Chronicles playthrough, and in this one, our Tsimish characters actually an embraced revenant from one of these two new lines. Uh, but uh, so, uh, what, what, how do you like these new families and, and like revenants in general? Well, uh, well, we're talking about. Uh, remnants in general uh, when we in in the high clan book for oh yeah that's but, right but yeah. yeah but but yeah I, I do like the idea of it uh, and um, uh, and I haven't really played with them enough to uh, to kind of get a feel if if these uh, revenant these two revenant families actually work uh, but they seem to be fairly well written and and like they what what I what I don't like in general is that when you throw in new stuff just for the sake of like, oh, we we write a new book, so we need new discipline powers, or we need new uh, monsters, or whatever, uh, and they don't really do it in this book. Like we ha we have the colonic ritual to embrace people over a longer period of time, and I, I think that's the only like discipline power. We uh, they the also mention that Cupola's Knight is a level 5 ritual, but we don't get any system for it, really. Yeah, yeah, so except for that this entire book is, is just information, just fluff, which I really do like. Uh, oh, yeah. And and so from, from that point of view, uh, it, it seems... I don't know, you, you can probably uh, say better if, if these revenants actually work, but, but it seems well, to be well-written um, yeah, and the, useful. Yeah, the... the... One of them is the Basarab family, and that is basically, from what I can tell, has been made so that you can make Dracula at Simish, because their discipline spread is Dominate, Protean, and Vicissitude, which means that uh, Vlad Tepesh, Dracula, if he is an embraced Basarab, he will have access to uh, Auspex, Animalism, Vicissitude, Dominate, and Protean, which is the discipline spread he needs to have in order to be like he is in uh, Bram Stoker's books and uh. the weakness the weakness of the Revenant family is that they are highly allergic to garlic yeah yeah that's, so yeah. it is it is basically the uh, the the Dracula uh, Revenant yeah. uh, family but that's I mean it's it's if you really want to make Dracula then that's that's cool yeah. and then the Danislav those are the ones that I think are going to really really uh, cause some um, some debate because they they uh, are as a line of um, shadow lord kinfolk. So all of them have the blood of the shadow lords, but they didn't turn into um, they didn't turn into werewolves, and they were then kidnapped by Vladimir Rustovich. Um, mm. Oh, sorry, not Vladimir Rustovich, um, Count Florescu. Mm. Uh, another, uh, yeah, I, I mixed, I mixed the uh, yeah, werewolf there, killer. There's a lot of NPCs in this book. Yeah, I mixed the werewolf killer up with the 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 guy who's breeding werewolf kinfolk. Sorry, mm. uh, a guy ca called Count Florescu, who then uh, tr transformed them into a revenant bloodline, uh, who then have access to Shadow Lord gifts, which is the, the powers that oh, the Shadow Lord's vampires have. And I think that is going... Uh, sorry, werewolves have. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 my, my, my wife can hear what I'm saying, and every time I make a mistake, she's there to correct me, which is kind of nice. Yeah. <laughs> I should have... Thank you. I should have her sit in uh, more uh, on my uh, on my podcasts because I have a feeling uh, it would be nice for someone to, to correct me from time <laughs> to time. Um, but anyway, no, these are... Um, uh, yeah, so they, they, they have access to the Shadow Lord uh, gifts, which I think is, is going to be a bone of contention for a lot of people. 
I personally probably wouldn't use it, especially if you have someone who is going to then be embraced because that just adds a whole new level. But I do like the idea that if you are going to have the Shadow Lords, if you're going to have the Guru rather than just generic lupines then mm. it's it's nice to, uh, to sort of involve some of their stuff and it also makes uh, it also makes um, it even more I mean that to me see even more monstrous and and highlights their experimentation it's like okay we're going to take these people who are kin to the werewolves and let's see what we can do with them uh, so yeah. so I'm personally okay with these two bloodlines but especially the Danislav with their with their werewolves gifts, I can see if people think that that's a bit too much. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I actually missed it when I read through it. That I, I didn't notice that they actually do get werewolf powers. <laughs> and and if nothing else, uh, I, I or let's put it this way. I've had bad experience when you try to mix uh, powers oh, yeah. from different systems because they're, they're usually not balanced to each other uh, b- because werewolf gifts are are kind of supposed to be compared to other werewolf gifts and, and not to vampiric disciplines so exactly and, and and again like is it really that difficult to just either either make it into some kind of comparative discipline power or just writing something new for, for this book because this book what is it it's a, it's about a, a hundred and fifty, hundred and sixty pages. So it, it's not like they couldn't fit in half a page of of uh, Danislav uh, uh, Revenant powers just as a sidebar. Yeah, exactly. Um, so final thoughts. Uh, when it comes to history, there's nothing to put a finger on. It's well-researched and very well-presented, and the introduction gave us a reason for some things appearing earlier than they did in our history. So it's thumbs up for me. Yeah, um, well, I'm, I'm just going to point out uh, the obvious uh, mistake that they made with, with uh, Rurik being oh, yeah. <laughs> from Denmark instead, or that he, he's not from Denmark, he's from, from Sweden, which... and I. I I don't know, it must have been a mistake because I don't really see a reason why they would want him to be from Denmark instead of... No, uh, no. In, ...instead of Sweden. And, and in general, I uh, probably mentioned it before, that the, the Vikings from the, the Swedish area, they sailed mostly east and, and south down to uh, Constantinople or, or Mittagord, yeah. as they call it, which just means the big place, basically. <laughs> yeah, the big city. Uh, and uh, and the Danes and Norwegians, they, they went into Western Europe and uh, took over um, England and, and Ireland and places like that. But yeah, except for that, yeah, you, you said it really good. Like, there, there are some, um, I wouldn't even call them mistakes, but, but kind of like... Um, differences from from actual real life history but they're there for a purpose and they've justified it in a way that i i can't complain about at all so that's that's very well done yeah so as a game resource my take is kind of you know wasted opportunity i think they stretched themselves too thin and it really seems clear to me that this was written more as a setting or companion book for Transylvania Chronicles than just a a setting book. And given the number of NPCs, I really would have loved more consistency in how their stats match their age and and how, you know, their stats are supposed to be integrated with how 
the the game itself is presented it it really seemed like the people who wrote them didn't really know all that much about the game system uh, I would have preferred either making this about just Hungary and, tran and tran the Transylvanian part of, of Hungary and then saving other parts of Eastern Europe for, uh, for other books uh, or just saying, okay, this is not going to be a, a Transylvania Companions companion book. We are going to do a, 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 a more spread out focus on Eastern Europe and then have a Transylvania uh, setting book uh, for, for the Chronicle. Uh, I think that Simish information is really, really good. Otherwise, the book kind of falls flat for me. There, there are good things in it, but it's just they're they're mired in this spreading it too thin. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I actually think that like if if I wanted uh, a book on on basically Eastern Europe, I, I think that from that point of view, it serves its purpose quite well. I I do agree that there's there's a lot of I don't know if you, we should call it filler or or just unnecessary stuff or stuff that could have been put in other books but there there is a lot of really good information in this book but there's also a lot of stuff that you really don't need um, and and again just the fact that they we, we don't get a map of the area that that everything takes place in yeah uh, and con considering how many full page uh, art uh, artworks there is or, or illustrations there are uh, it, you, you wouldn't really be amiss if you just took one of those out and and included uh, a cool looking map instead. You could copy it and use it as a handout if nothing else. Uh, yeah. But but yeah, you you have more experience with it. So I'm not I'm not really going to argue with those points. And and I can really see and understand them that that some of it is just I don't know not really there for any reason, or you could have put it somewhere else or used it better. But but again, the, the good stuff in it is is really good. Like you do have oh, yes. you do have Gutka, the Salt Queen. Yeah, so. <laughs> and and you do have some really cool um, introductions to settings mm. to to the various yeah. cities that I yeah. think. I mean, I could use this as a jumping off point for a chronicle set in Prague, set in Krakow, mm. set in Budapest. It's just. I wish there was more information rather than them focusing so much on things like uh, the Siebenbogen area instead of them including so many NPCs with full write-up. Yeah. So, yeah, it balances there. Um, all right, the next book we're going to be looking at is The Ashen Knight, a book which I remember very, very fondly. So, Peter, do you have any last comments before we sign off? Uh, no, I'm just going to... Say say again. Thanks for listening. Uh, be careful of the killer fungi and uh, <laughs> and also the werewolf lurking in the shadows. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And also, um, if you've listened to our latest um, side quests about the, the world of darkness coming to the screen, big and small, then uh, pop by our Facebook group and uh, join in uh, a discussion on what you think about it. Because that's something that I really want to hear from uh, from other people what what they think about it. Because I'm I'm really stoked about this. Yeah, yeah, me too. And and I especially uh, being the kind of person who, who likes uh, wallowing in other people's misery. If if you had any like worst case scenarios or ideas that you really <laughs> don't want to see. Uh, please let us know because that kind of stuff is, is always fun to talk about. Yeah. Uh, and with that, it is goodbye from me, Jacob. And from me, Peter. Farewell and see you next time. Bye. Bye.